We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Player and team developments that we expect or hope for as we look ahead Five. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel, who you can find at Rotoviz, as always. Sean, how you doing? Excellent. We had the big week last week, and it just it's been so much fun to watch football this year, right? With the teams going for it on fourth down, being aggressive, you got these great swings you have more points being scored you have this game in kansas city where there are any punts it just sundays have been uh, you know a 24 hour long party just about you know going from the first kickoff to when that sunday night game ends to when you get done watching all the shortcuts after the sunday night game it's a long fun day then we're going to look at some of the running back developments how we continue to kind of churn our rosters and, and look forward and make sure that we have as many bullets as possible as we get into these bye weeks. You had brought up, as we were, we were talking before the show, about Austin Eckler. And this was the second time that he has gone down momentarily in game. And thankfully, he was able to come back. When I saw him turn that ankle early, I was like, I don't, I mean, I just don't have much Eckler outside of Dynasty. But it just, I mean, this is the last thing you want. You don't want guys to go out, you want the stars to play. It was it was great to see him go back in this game. He not only goes back in, but he scores a bunch of points. He looks very, very good in this Chargers offense. But let's work through what happens if he does go out. Because to this point, Justin Jackson and Larry Roundtree have not been, you know, guys that you could play. Are they even guys that you can stash? They seem to have roles that split them out to kind of separate high-value touches but maybe it won't work together. We kind of debated this a little bit before the show started, you know, who you should have. Tell us why we should have Justin Jackson. Yeah, and so in week one, Eckler had a concussion scare this past week. 
he had a foot thing on uh, Monday night or a leg thing. He went to the blue tent both times. Both games, Justin Jackson immediately came on the field and basically played the Eckler role. And uh, on Monday Night Football, he got a carry on the next play. He ran a route and caught a pass the play after that. He got a carry again the, the play after that. And so my hypothesis has been that Jackson will be playing the Eckler role if Eckler is out. That Roundtree, I've seen some places that Roundtree is the handcuff that you want, that he's just this big back, this bruiser. It's the role that Joshua Kelly played last year. But you made some great points before the show as well that I want, you know, you, you can go ahead and elaborate on. I don't need to make them for you, but that, you know, Roundtree is getting the goal line work. And if Jackson comes in, he probably can't be what Eckler is because Eckler's pretty specifically good at uh, some of the ways that he, he gains points. He is. One of the things that we see with Eckler is that he has this ability to play a very similar type of style to an Alvin Kamara, but even more like an Aaron Jones, right? So we had the season a couple of years ago where Jones has the 19 touchdowns. People are saying, oh, well, you're not going to do that again because a lot of those touchdowns came from distance. And yeah, I mean, you're not going to necessarily do that again, but you're still a very dynamic weapon because when you have that type of athleticism in an explosive offense, you know, you can score from 20 yards out. You can score from 15 yards out. Eckler is getting some of these touches in this, you know, five to 15 yards away from the goal line area where someone of his skill set can get the job done. You contrast that with Jackson and Roundtree. You go in and look at their numbers. The evasion percentage for Roundtree down at nine. Jackson you know, loses yardage in this game. And the concern for me is that this has been a split type of situation where it looks like Jackson will get the receiving value. But I would see this as, as a situation where when you have Eckler out there, then, I mean, he's going to be someone you prioritize when he's running routes. When you have Jackson out there, you're thinking, okay, I, I got to get it to the receivers. And if not the receivers, then you have a game like what Jared Cook put up this past weekend where he's able to beat some of the guys. So I think we could see a lot of empty routes from Jackson. But the biggest thing is it's probably not going to be both things. They've used Larry Roundtree and not necessarily even so much around the goal line, but in some of these short yardage situations, and, and he hasn't looked good, right? So you have both elements where number one, it looks like Roundtree would be the runner. Jackson would be the receiver. But I also think that the, the value that we get from Eckler is going to naturally decline because there is such a big talent gap to the backups. We don't necessarily always see that uh, when the starter goes down. That's one of the reasons why when you have backfields like with Mike Davis, then you're looking, okay, well, you know, who's behind him? It might be similar. I don't think this one will be similar. One that we were hoping would be a little bit more similar was the Carolina Panthers backfield. Chuba Hubbard looked fantastic again this last week in terms of his value as a runner. He's showing the ability to get to space to create the, you know, those that run that takes it from three yards to seven yards and puts your team in a better kind of down and distance situation and actually gives a little bit of encouragement to the coach to keep calling your number. You know, you have a bunch of one, two, three yard runs. They're like, and we can't keep doing this because now our past situations become so unfortunate or unfavorable as we try and pick up these first downs. He looked good there. And he's one of these guys who is showing better vision than I think people gave him credit for. One of the reasons why he had such a massive season in 2019 is the speed, but also, I mean, you've, you've got to be able to, to find out and, and get to that hole. He's been able to do that at the NFL level, which I think people questioned. The problem in this one, Ben, is that he lost those all-important touches. 
Yeah, so he ran routes on 51% of dropbacks in week three when, when Christian McCaffrey went out. And that's a great number, especially considering he didn't play the whole game. You're like, okay, he's going to run a lot of routes. That's great. In week four, uh, Rodney Smith was active. He led the running backs in routes. Rodney Smith had been inactive the first three weeks. And so we see this kind of thing sometimes, right, with the inactive backs. It's one of the reasons I still think you should be probably being willing to consider hanging on to Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, especially in deep leagues, I think people are hanging on to him uh, in shallower leagues. I still think it's worth seeing if he's going to be inactive again next week. But what happened with Rodney Smith, he, he was active because of the injury. Now they need another running back active. And then his skill set meant to the Panthers for, you know, sort of whatever reason that he should play more on passing downs. You know, part of that's probably just Chuba Hubbard is a rookie. It's the pass blocking stuff. These things pop up all the time. So Hubbard had run 51% routes. He goes all the way down to 22% in week four when he's the lead back, which is kind of bizarre, right? He, he uh, handled most of the work, but Rodney Smith is the one who caught, I think, four or five passes. Didn't get any carries, I don't think. But that's not great for Hubbard, certainly, to not get those, those routes and those catches and those high-value touches like we always talk about. But, yeah, I mean, Hubbard looked good. You made some great points there. Oh, the other thing I want to mention was going back to the Chargers. You So you had made a great point before we started that even though Roundtree is getting some of the really close work, Eckler is getting, you know, is still in this position to get some carries from four or five or six yards. He scored a touchdown from 11 yards out this week. Some of that is because Eckler is so good, and, and you were sort of alluding to that when you were comparing him to Aaron Jones, that Aaron Jones was able to score, uh, you know, in his big season from a little bit further out with some consistency. And so Jackson probably – uh, in a scenario where Eckler goes down, doesn't get that. I do sort of disagree on the empty routes point. That was one that um, kind of caught my ear. The the, the counter that I, I made a little before the show was that the Chargers have always been really high in team high value touches. Some of that was, you know, if you go back too far, it's because of Phillip Rivers and there's different coaches and things. But since Herbert took over, they were very high last year in team high value touches. They were they, They've started out pretty good this year other than week one. Some of that certainly is because of Eckler, but Jackson caught four passes in the very sort of limited work that he got in week four. And Jackson has been pretty good at drawing targets in the past. I do think, like, I agree with you that he wouldn't have the potential to have sort of these explosive touchdowns that Eckler has had. And so the, the TD part of it is, is bad. I do still think Jackson's a worthwhile stash. He wouldn't have like a massive ceiling, but I think he would very much have the potential to catch five five balls in this backfield and still get a lot of low value touches as well and be like a 15 point guy, which is very usable. Anyway, I, I just wanted to throw that in there. I, I think we slightly disagree on the viability of Jackson as a stash. I would love for Jackson to be something that mattered for fantasy. I wrote an article several seasons ago, comparing him to a lot of the superstars because his collegiate profile, both in terms of athleticism and production actually comp very nicely to some names that I won't even mention now because they are so silly. <laughs> he he hasn't done that to this point. I do think the offense will become very wide receiver centric uh, to the extent that it can. I mean, beyond Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, they don't have as much talent. And we saw uh, this past week against the Raiders, the Raiders were able to take those guys away a little bit. Jerry Cook had the big game. That was a lot of fun for our team with Davis Maddock. We, uh, fought over all the tight ends. We made a bunch of compromised, bad selections in Komet, Cook, and Zach Ertz. And now it looks like some of those guys may be relevant. Jared it was Cook season. <laughs> Jared Cook season. Ben, 
week four was great for a lot of things. And one of the things it was great for was an avalanche of terrible tight end points. The tight ends really got it going in week four. Let's stay on some of these running back situations. Uh, one of the ones, and this is complicated a little bit by not knowing how quickly Teddy Bridgewater is going to recover from his concussion, but it, it's been a little bit odd for a team that was 3-1 and one or 3-0, and oh, now 3-1 and one in the Broncos that they haven't created. You know, you talk about those team high-value touches, haven't created as much value for the running backs as you would like in terms of the Denver Broncos, but you go in and, and look at some of the advanced stats for these guys, and you're like, I mean, they – you know, if you could make it work out, you would love for them to touch the ball more. I mean, they only had 16 total carries in week four, but they both over averaged over six yards per attempt. Javante Williams over five yards after contact. Uh, both of their evasion percentages up over 33%. You look at that for the full season, and Javante Williams is one of these guys who is sitting as a leader in terms of evasion percentage, and this fits very closely with the uh, you know all the scouting reports that we got on him coming into the year it fits closely with the breakaway rush score that dave caben has where at the collegiate level he was able to break a lot of these for big plays now the big play that we've seen this season was the long touchdown run from melvin gordon but uh, i mean when we look at the price that you had to pay to get these guys it definitely hasn't panned out so far javante williams had so much buzz going into that last couple of weeks of draft season I mean, he was very expensive can this offense develop into something to where one of these guys gets it done we talk about williams especially being someone who over the second half of his rookie season he could really be a world beater but i do think that this does depend on bridgewater coming back healthy i think it's going to be something where they're going to need jerry judy we talked previously how Cortland Sutton had had a monster air yards week, I believe, in week two. He had a big air yards week again this past week, getting to, I believe, 158. But these were very empty with Drew Locke really not being close to him on so many of these targets. Having Locke in there almost seems like it takes Tim Patrick and Sutton out of the game. He still has a little bit of rapport with Noah Fant, uh, we like Fant and seeing these underneath targets for Fant are kind of fun. Uh, but this offense, it still has some talent, but it looked very bad against the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, uh, I, I think your questions about the running backs are really interesting. I, I'm still, you know, hoping on, on Javante Williams, the same stuff that we have been. This week, Williams' routes ticked up. Uh, he ran more routes than Melvin Gordon for the first time this season. We had previously seen Gordon running maybe not quite twice as many routes, but close to twice as many. And so now even the routes were basically a 50-50 split. Everything is sort of surface level looked 50-50 split. The routes were the one thing that were sort of trending Gordon's way so far. And, and now those are even – they both got one green zone touch. They both got two back in week three. Um, so the, the high value, you know, touchdown scoring potential touches have been split right down the middle – in some regards, it's just like, yeah, you have both of these backs doing everything. It's a very 50-50 backfield. And then to your point, the pie is not actually that big. And so you you kind of need a situation where one of them isn't as active and it's not a, as much of a 50-50 backfield. When I when I talk about things like the team high value touches and I look at that a ton, readers are stealing signals, know that I, I update the leaderboard for that every week. I have a great visual from Sam Hoppin, who, who I include uh, or that I include in, in the article every week. 
the reason I look at that is I have sort of noticed over the time that I've written stealing signals that like the, you know, the team situation, and this isn't like a, a, a huge groundbreaking thing, but the team situation helps. Like we saw Mike Davis, you, you sort of referenced step in for, for Christian McCaffrey when he went down last year. And, and we've, we've seen these situations where obviously a player can just be plugged into a really good situation and be productive. You know, the, the Steelers backs behind Le'Veon D'Angelo Williams was great. And then James Conner wound up great. The, the team situations do seem to really, really matter. And so ever since, you know, using this high value touchdown, I've been looking at it from that perspective and I've had some success the last couple of years looking at teams that I think will just produce a lot of high value touches and why you'd want to attack, not just the starters in those offenses, but the backups and those types of things. This brought, and so the way that I look at it is committees can be okay in teams that generate a ton of high value touches. You, it's okay to have, you know, I don't know why the Colts come to mind immediately because I'm they're, they're up there this year, but they were higher last year, especially with Phillip Rivers at QB. You knew they were going to get a ton of targets and all of that, and they were scoring enough points and everything. I mean, Rivers' backfields all throughout his career had a, a really high, high value touch rate, so it meant that two backs could be good. Both Hines and Taylor were very good. Um, so the committees are not bad when there's a lot of high value touches. They are problematic when there's no high value touches. Think the Jets right now. There is a committee. Uh, Michael Carter looks really interesting to me. He looks pretty good on Sundays, but he's still splitting work. And there's also not a lot of high value touches. Um, who is it that did the great work uh, a couple of years ago that showed, you know, different strengths of team and, and how on the uh, Ryan Collinsworth, right? Is that accurate? And so when teams were really poor, they could still be really good running backs. But largely, I think that 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 data came from teams that were concentrated, right? They weren't committees. You can have low high, you know, or you can be bad or, or they just had a lot of high value touches, teams that were trailing and, and throwing to their backs a lot. But anyway, the way that I look at it is if, if there's not a lot of high value touches in the offense, they need to all go to one guy. This looks like a situation on these terms where the high value touches are not high enough in the offense and it's split 50 50. And so a committee in an offense, that's not generating enough of the valuable stuff overall. is just meh, you know, it's just not good enough. Are, are you optimistic about the team coming back with Judy? I mean, everything seems to come back to him in terms of some of our teams and some of what the, the Broncos want to do. I, I get the impression that, that maybe that's not the case. We have this other committee where the backs look very good and we're still trying to get some more of those high value touches. Now we've had more this season than last season. There's been a little bit of a bounce back for these Buffalo Bills guys. You had mentioned in the previous show, you hadn't been starting Zach Moss and then the big week three kind of changed the dynamic a little bit there. Week four, I mean, Devin Singletary again, just looked absolutely amazing right averages over five and a half yards per carry. i believe one of his biggest runs was called back i was watching this game in shortcuts so it was a little bit trickier to figure out i haven't had a chance to actually go through every single one of the, the play by play there but when you're looking at an evasion percentage of 43 percent you know you've got the big yards ever contact numbers we talk about the fact that Devin Singletary for not being a big back and not being a guy who had great tested athleticism he makes a ton of guys miss he can create the big play but Ben, it's just, it's a lot of empty calories here. We get the big plays, but he's not catching a lot of passes. And then you have Zach Moss and Josh Allen around the, around the goal line. And obviously Moss has been looking very good as well. Yeah. Moss has looked fantastic and he's getting all the high value touches. I mean, we have a concentration of high value touches in this backfield. And so, yeah, I said in stealing signals this week that you, 
shouldn't be starting Singletary, basically. I mean, he looks fantastic. It's such a bummer, but he isn't going to catch enough passes in this offense. We just know this offense doesn't throw to the backs a lot, and Moss is getting all of the green zone stuff um, for a couple weeks now. It's pretty clear, it seems, that that he's going to get the, the bulk of that. And so Moss is interesting, but it's also still a pretty small pie in terms of the team generating a ton of high-value touches. Uh, but I like Moss, and, and I like Singletary. And it's just sort of a, an unfortunate thing where we have two good backs in this league right now that are on the same team, and the team doesn't necessarily prioritize the position. Uh, one other note I did want to make on the Broncos, though, while we were talking about them, you mentioned Fant. He actually saw his routes jump up to a season-high 86%. He saw the 10 targets. But I was really encouraged by that because he'd been kind of in this good but not great range of routes for the first couple of weeks in the high 70s and things and um, getting all the way up to 86%, approaching 90%. It'll be interesting to see if he continues to run that many routes. But uh, that was sort of a difference between him and Hawkinson, for example, in the first couple of weeks was that we were seeing Hawkinson run more routes. Fant was in the range that Hawkinson was in last year. We were seeing Hawkinson kind of take a step up in routes early this year. Hawkinson's actually come back down a little bit. Um, they're sort of in the same range. We like them both as potential, you know, profile breakouts. I, I still like Hawkinson more, but I, I, I'm encouraged by Fant right now as well. He looks smoother to me also out there on the field. One of the things that was kind of bizarre last season is that even though Fant has these extraordinary athleticism numbers, you go in in the combine explorer on our site you check him out you know somewhere else if that's your preference and you can see that the athletic numbers for fant uh, they you know compare very nicely to someone like a kyle pitts who obviously had that athletic profile in addition to you know a very very good college season but one of the reasons why pitts was such a high pick in fantasy this year you know fant is that kind of guy but then you watch him and you contrast him to albert O, his teammate who another tight end with just off the chart athletic metrics and the backup is much more fluid right able to turn the hips better able to make these impressive catches in the end zone better and so you're thinking to yourself okay well i know fant is the guy that they've invested in i know he's the guy that has the profile in terms of routes targets fantasy points i mean it always comes back to fantasy points. so we're excited about that but there's something in the back of your head saying i mean is the backup actually better could that come into play as a problem for him and then obviously alberto gets the serious injury wipes that out does come back for the season and has looked pretty good. But with that dynamic in play, I do think it's very encouraging that Fant has looked so smooth and so athletic this season. And to me, you know, you mentioned those route numbers. I think that compared with some of the things we're just seeing in terms of his comfort level out there on the field, if they could just get decent quarterback play, he looks like he's ready for a massive, massive stretch but again, some of that might almost be that he's a, the small beneficiary of the weaker quarterback play if it works better for him. As Hamler and Judy have gone down, it's very much created a situation where before we were worried that this could be a target split that goes too many different directions, the target market share too low for Fant to have the full breakout, as you mentioned with the targets in week four. Ah, that's no longer the case. We, we feel like we're right on the verge. Lots more to go over after the break, and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But one of the things that we have talked about for our teams, and it's whether you go zero RB, whether you start with an anchor running back, whether you get in a situation where you decide for whatever reason, and, and we did this on a couple of our teams, and we mentioned on, on Wednesday that the team we did it with has not been as successful, but start with a bunch of running backs. You do want to go very heavy at wide receiver, and that if there is more depth now at wide receiver, it's something that actually benefits zero running back teams because you can get even more depth for your assault on the flex positions during the bye weeks. It's also something where if you have hit on guys like Higgins, like Judy, then you have the depth to get through. A couple of our depth guys have looked pretty interesting through the first four weeks. Yeah. There's one I definitely want to talk about that has looked interesting. There's another I want to talk about that wasn't really someone we were on a lot and that I'm concerned about. And so I just want to be clear. This is not, I don't know who the second guy you're referencing is, but this first one I'm going to start with is not that guy. You know, we, we let off the show saying that we we're going to talk about things that we expect to happen. I'm really concerned about Mecole Hardman. He has lost routes in, in weeks three and four versus weeks one and two. I talked earlier in the season and signals that his routes were up. And given that he's been a very efficient player, that things could go, could go different this time around, even though we have always said that with Hardman, unfortunately his routes are down and Josh Gordon's reportedly going to play in week five. And so what I expected going forward is, is essentially that, you know, just the fact that they signed Josh Gordon, not that I think Josh Gordon's going to be particularly good or play a ton right away, but just the fact that they signed him, I think is not a good sign for what they're thinking. And the fact that his routes are trending down for what they're thinking about Michael Hardman being an impact player. I, I kind of feel like he's going to continue to fall off. The player that I wanted to talk about positively is Henry Ruggs. I think he's going to absolutely pop soon. He's already been very good, but near miss on a long touchdown on um, Monday Night Football. Carr just barely overthrows him. Has hit on some others. Uh, We've talked about the Raiders quite a bit. They're throwing more. The targets for Ruggs, we talked really early in the year, were already a little bit more consistent. They, They stayed consistent. Last year, he never had more than five targets in a game. This year, he's never had fewer than five targets in a game. Big difference, right? His season low this year equals his season high last year. The air yards have been strong each week, and they've been over 130 both of the last two weeks. His season low, I think, is 79. It's a lot of air yards, and he's getting open. He's He is open downfield constantly. This is a guy that you wanted to draft a lot in draft season, and I was like, Sean, we didn't really love his production profile. You're crazy. He didn't get any targets in year one. He can't earn volume. He wasn't good in college. He's not actually good. He's just going to run empty routes. And you're like, yeah, but he's really fast. And so what if he's good? <laughs> no, you had Blair Andrews also wants you to know he's got huge hands. Oh, yes, right. And his hands are massive. That's the other thing we know. Um, and you know what they say about big hands, Sean, that you're really good at football when you have big hands. And so Henry Ruggs, to me, right now, the way that he's being used, the way the targets are more consistent, the way he's getting open, he's going to have a monster game in the near future. I think at times in the offseason, you, you sort of said, look, he's got kind of this Tyreek Hill thing going on. And obviously you're not saying he's going to be Hill. 
But like when I'm talking about popping, I'm talking about like he can have a Tyreek Hill type two, three long touchdown. And then you're looking at 170 receiving yards and multiple TDs. He can have that game. And I think it's going to happen this year, man. I, like, I, I think you're right that this is a guy that, I mean, even up until last week, I was like, do we want to, do we even want to play him? The reason I'm so encouraged right now is going into this week. I didn't really want to play him. The Chargers had given up five or four completions of more than 15 yards all season leading into this game. Derek Carr, over 40% of his pass yards in the first three games were more than 15 yards. And so I was down on the Raiders. I took the Chargers in, uh, in my uh, betting column at Oddschecker. I am not, you know, I, I was concerned about this deep, this ability of the Brandon Staley de- uh, defense to defend deep. And yet, Ruggs did have a 40 or 50 yard catch and he got wide open for what should have been a long touchdown on top of that. That would have been like a 70 or 80 yard TD. He really, just a good throw. He really should have had 100 yards in a TD in this game against probably the best deep passing defense in the league. And so that's why I'm like, okay, well, if he can do it against them, there's not a lot of teams that are, that are, you know, there, there are teams that can take away Tyree Kill in certain weeks and things, right? But there's not a lot of teams that are going to be better at trying to limit what Ruggs can do. They're obviously featuring this every single week, the air yards and all the things I mentioned. He's, he's going to pop soon. And you look at the air yards leaderboard, and he's really the only guy who still doesn't have that high an overall share of targets. And you think to yourself, well, that's a red flag. I don't think that it is because they're also working to get some manufactured touches to him. And I think that target share is going to go up, right? Teams are going to take away Hunter Renfro a little bit more. We even saw kind of a hilarious, I think, third and short play in this game where Renfro was double teamed. The Raiders weren't ready for that. They had their guys on the opposite side of the field running deep. They're going to get the ball to rugs underneath to get some of these, again, Tyreek Hill types of plays where you have the catch and run. But to your point, when you can do it against this Chargers team and you could see on multiple plays how much pressure their guys were under. And one of the things with the Chargers is they're not just a team that asks you to throw underneath. They're actually really good. And so you put those two things together. But we saw the Eagles try a similar thing against the Chiefs last week, and it wasn't effective in stopping anything, right? And so you look at this, you mentioned the long pass that almost happened, the long pass that was. He also had, I believe, a defensive pass interference on a deep pass created where those would have been fantasy points if he had just held on, which it looked like he was going to do, and then at the last second, you know, doesn't. But again, big hands. So mostly he's going to catch those passes. You you have an edge when your fingers are longer. <laughs> so the uh, the situation there with rugs, I and, and I don't think there's any question, right? You have they were showing on the on the broadcast, you know, these huge numbers the Raiders have had through three weeks. The Raiders have actually played a pretty challenging schedule. And so you're thinking, okay, well, but it's Derek Carr, right? And it, it's going to fall apart. And people who were reluctant, and, and you and I had some tricky conversations about, do we play Carr, do we not? Because, you know, we think the volume is going to be there. The Chargers are probably going to score on them. He's been good. You know, do we want to rely on some of our QBs who are lower volume and aren't as good? At halftime, you're like, this is a nightmare. And then we see the Raiders fight back. I really think that these are two of the best teams in football. I think that you could make an argument that with their victory over the Chiefs and with their close loss to the Cowboys, who also look very good, I mean, the Chargers are right there with the Arizona Cardinals, you know, with the Chiefs as being potentially the best team in the entire league. The Raiders actually had a good game against them. They come back, they fight back. The other thing that we're seeing is that their running back position is pretty weak. And so Josh Jacobs is struggling. I don't think that he's 100% because he has had some decent stretches as an NFL player, but he's not a star. A Kenyon Drake kind of fading out of the equation. He's a signing that doesn't look very good right now. And so also it's, it's something where I mean, you don't want to make too big of a deal out of one week, 
but there's a, a huge difference in terms of the air yard profile for rugs and say Brian Edwards. Edwards also in a situation where, I mean, he had a play late in this game where he didn't really fight for the yardage that they needed. You'd like to see more from him. Now, there's not a huge gap in terms of receptions, in terms of yards there. So maybe you're saying, well, I mean, you guys are biased in favor of this guy that you have. But yeah, I mean, Ruggs is right there in the position that we hoped he would be in and where Carr has missed him on when he was wide open for a long touchdown i actually had another league where i didn't get in he was dropped after week one bid super high in week two was a little bit abashed because bid way more than i need to 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 get him onto that team but i'm very excited to have him on that team too i thought that the profile right away was something where you've got to look at that and say you know it's everything is there both in terms of the quarterback play his speed how they're using him the unrealized air yards but then also just the overall dynamic. I mean, it's, it's checking almost every box that we need here. Yeah. You, you were comparing Ruggs yards and Edwards yards. Is that right? I, I, I'm pulling it up now. I didn't realize they were that close because Edwards has been so invisible at times. You know, I know in week one, all of his catches came on the final drive and into overtime, but he ends up with 80 yards in that game, four catches for 80 yards in, you know, Get, and they were important plays. They went to him in important plays. Uh, I'm not trying to discount that too much, but yeah, I, is that who you're comparing? Yeah, and so you see those numbers there, and you're like, well, I mean, they've got three guys. Hunter Renfro is leading in targets, leading in receptions, uh, leading in touchdowns, and so uh, he's somebody else that you can run out there. And so there, there are some of these guys who, and especially last week, I thought it made sense again with the way that the Chargers were going to force them to play this game. You and I had the conversation with Davis. Davis asked us to play Hardman. I was definitely okay with that. It's not something where he had to to twist my arm or anything there because, again, the Eagles defense, very soft, and we saw that play out. It was very soft. The Chargers defense, very good. You know, Hardman has been a manufactured touch guy who has gotten some touches that were helpful and scored. But, again, we see in this last week, I mean, Hardman is not a receiver, right? I mean, he's really more of – Cordero Patterson type of guy. Now, Patterson finally at, at age 30 is doing some of these things. So maybe Hardman down the line can be a good <laughs> seven zero years from RB now. Start. Get, on, yeah. get on Hardman. No, but the to the Edwards and, and Ruggs point, the way I put it in signals, and, and you you bring up Renfro was that I would rather have Renfro than Edwards. To me, Ruggs and Waller are the key. And this is a passing attack that we want to be talking about. They're throwing a lot on early downs, they are being aggressive, their running backs suck, everything you said. To me, it's Waller and it's Ruggs. And then it's, you know, Renfro maybe, or maybe Edwards. But, like, Edwards is not near Ruggs for me. I think the target share is going to jump for Ruggs in addition to some of these long passes connecting. Do you have optimism on that count? Yeah, I mean, I I do. I do. But also just the fact that the air yards are are already so strong. And some of Edwards' production, you know, Edwards will probably be fine. I'm not saying he's going to be bad or anything, but... You you had made that comment that maybe we're just biased towards the guy we have. I've been biased. I've been pretty against rugs. Like I, I was not. You had to twist my arm a little bit to draft him. Frankly, you have to do that from time to time with some of these guys. And then I see in the season that I'm wrong. This is why you know we do our draft shows that uh, you know I'm willing to, to to listen to Sean Siegel. Like when you draft teams with Sean Siegel, you listen to Sean Siegel. So rugs though to me was not a guy that I was like enthusiastic about. And then watching the games, I, it has been very very clear to me that. When you talk just to that comment you made about the potential bias, I have not been 
I don't think explicitly biased in, in Ruggs' favor. I just think he looks way better in terms of potential future fantasy production. Like that, everything he's doing right now, how open he's getting downfield and how many points those those plays can be worth and the fact that his, his targets are actually consistent. He might have a couple three-target games too. He's been a little quiet. The, the week one game I mentioned that Edwards was quiet. Ruggs was quiet for most of that game too. He got his, his targets late. But this is three games in a row now. Ruggs' production has been pretty solid. And like you said, there's also been missed opportunities in those games. He looks very, very good this year. He does. And one of the receivers who bounced back in a big way this last week was Marquise Brown. I bring him up, number one, to praise him because I just that was an amazing, amazing touchdown catch. You'd love to see that for a guy who was so bashed the previous week. Brown's target share there in Baltimore, quite a bit higher, 24% to rugs at 15%. And those extra targets do help. His reception numbers are also a little bit better as a result. But I think that the pie is going to be enough bigger in, I almost said Oakland, in Las Vegas there. And the air yards numbers for those two guys, 446 for rugs, 445 for Marquise Brown. The percentage of the team's air yards, 31% to 29%, so some similarities there. I think that we're going to see rugs be more efficient in converting the rest of the way, simply because Derek Carr ha- has been pretty accurate on these passes. And so while neither one of these guys, I don't think, are, and we're not saying that they are. I mean, they're not going to be the guys that you need if you're going to have like the six of the top 15 overall wide receivers. But in terms of having a wide receiver for someone who can come through during the bye weeks and give you that production i think that they're similar types of players and that represents a jump really for both guys i mean they marquise brown going a little bit earlier than rugs in the draft but they're now definitely into that six seven round range i think if we would do the draft again we're talking about looking forward is that where you would have them yeah, probably. I would have Ruggs higher. Uh, I, I think the interesting thing about Ruggs is you you started off this segment talking about teams that have you know the, the drafted enough receivers. One of the issues that I still see when people talk to me about zero RB not working, and, and we talked about this as a problem in the preseason, our teams have Ruggs. Their teams don't. A lot of people that are trying to do zero RB, they're not strong enough at receiver. They're not actually committing as far as we do, and, and that's something we talked about as a concern and in draft season it's still such an uncomfortable thing it takes a couple of years even maybe to to really get comfortable going as far as zero rb as you need to you need to almost do it try it and realize oh yeah we're wrong on so much stuff that i do need more receivers than this this can work if i just actually commit to really building the receiver strength but yeah some of these some of these teams that people are sending me first time ever doing zero rb they don't have the rugs of the world they do have the judies and they and they have some injuries and then I'm like, man, your team's kind of bad. What you can do to fix that <laughs> is go target somebody like Ruggs right now, I, I think. And so that was part of the reason I think the discussion with him is really interesting. The production has not met what could be a, a massive ceiling for him. I, so you said the seventh. I, I mean, I think I might take Ruggs in the fifth. Like, I, I, I'm excited about him. One of the differences, I was just looking up their weight. I'm not that big into to weight Twitter. I'll just say from a watching the games perspective, this is why I wanted to reference their weight. Ruggs is looking like you talked about that play he nearly caught. He's looking like he's like fighting for balls, fighting after the catch and stuff. Brown to me has always played like he's a little bit undersized. You know, he he has to be open. He can still make big plays, but he's like your prototypical undersized deep threat. Has to be open, is not going to break tackles or things. Ruggs is a little bit bigger. 
and a little bit, I think, more capable of like, again, this is what, sort of why I brought up the Tyree Kill thing. Tyree Kill is fast, but he's also strong, right? Like he, he can muscle guys too. He can power through guys at the goal line and, you know, he's out in space and he's got a DB trying to bring him down or whatever. He can power through these last couple of yards if needed or, or what have you. I don't know. I felt like I've seen that a little bit more with Ruggs. Do you think that's a, a fair, is that sort of what you're seeing? That's, that's a difference to me. It's like, I think Ruggs is more likely to fight for balls to come back for underthrown balls. Whereas Brown sometimes maybe just gives up on the pass or something, you know? And I think that's, that can be a major differentiator sort of that willingness to also be a little physical. Yeah. And uh, you know, we've joked about it throughout the, the episode, but I, I do think this is something where the hand size research does suggest that those guys do have a better chance. I mean, catching an NFL ball is, is difficult, right? When you're talking about, I mean, even think about those three long targets that Calvin Ridley had this past week where they were all on target. They were all defended and all three of them, he had the ball in his hands. All three of them were either knocked away by the defender or came out when he hit the ground, you know, every extra wait, does Calvin Ridley have small hands? Why am I just learning this? No, I'm just saying that those are difficult plays, right? We think about these plays and, you know, Blair's research shows that it's not linear, right? In terms of their relationship there. And one of the reasons why is that you do have some outperformance by some very fast guys who, you know, are going to be smaller and just the, the connections there to having the smaller hands. And, but if you have a guy who is both really fast and has the big hands, then you have some of these elements where you can make the plays on the ball. Now, one of the things that we've seen from Ruggs or have failed to see really is him being this dynamic overall receiver. I mean, very much overshadowed by guys like Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy at Alabama. Then he has the bad rookie season. So I think that we can be you know, you can get out in front of what the actual production is. And that's one of the reasons why we always emphasize that production so much. I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, I don't have much Hardman this season, even though I'm a dreamer on him, I'm a huge Chiefs fan. And you've got this great speed, you have this clear role and you're thinking, it's got to happen. But Hardman was not a good college player, right? I mean, the thing that he had going for them, he was very young and he was kind of transitioning. So you're like, well, maybe this can happen. But we don't have a history of production there that we can look back on where some of these other guys that we do. So with rugs, you know, we always talk about the difficulty of evaluating some of these Alabama receivers, but yeah, I mean, those things that you're saying, I think we could, we could see it it, it very much a wide range for these players. Did I just get you're too high on Henry rugs by you? Like this is what doing shows with Sean Siegel is like, people ask me, people are, you are freaking right about everything. And I consider myself decent at this. But you tried to talk me into Henry Ruggs all offseason. I said it wasn't going to happen. And now we're seeing all these positive things. And now I'm too high on Henry Ruggs. And you're telling well, me we need, to be, we need to be worried about the things that I was worried about in the offseason. And you're, you're going to be right on that, too. No, well, that, all of this is inaccurate. We always talk about <laughs> the thing that we're trying to do is win, even though we're always wrong. And we've been wrong plenty. And we are winning. So at least that part of it is happening. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have rugs on almost every team, Ben. I mean, if you if you tell me that the person who is crushing everything is high on rugs, then I'm just going to go play them in all of my teams ahead of the guys I drafted in rounds three and four. So I have to come back with some skepticism just to, to hold myself in place on Henry Ruggs and just the, the next three times that Derek Carr does miss him for a 70-yard touchdown. It will not be as heartbreaking if we expect some of that to happen. Fair enough. Fair enough. We do need to be reasonable. I do see those reactions, overreactions, but you actually would take him in the fifth round is what you said. You just don't want to tell everyone that. All right. That sounds good. 
Uh, I want to talk about Kenneth Gainwell, who's another guy that I was skeptical of, team high value, touch stuff. One of the reasons you got me on him was you talked about how their offense might actually have more high value touches than I was expecting. And that was something that late in the draft season, I got a little more interested about the Eagles. Oh, they, you know, Jalen Hurts does scramble, but they're, they're talking about standing in back and throwing a little bit more and having more passes to the backseat. Now, Gainwell was obviously just very efficient in, in week four, but and, and some of his production came late, and he seems to be the one running some of these late uh, routes when the game's sort of out of hand. But this is two weeks in a row now that the Eagles have not run a lot, like at all. Uh, obviously, week three, they, they only gave their running backs three times, uh, three carries, which was an NFL record low. This past week, there were 10. That's not a lot of, not, not a lot of running back carries. They were trailing. We don't expect Jalen Hurts to throw 48 passes every week. I'm sure there will be some 15, 20 carry Miles Sanders games coming down the down the road. But the other part of this is that Kenneth Gainwell just looks better than Miles Sanders. And so I want to get your thoughts on what you think might happen with Kenneth Gainwell basically the rest of this year. Yeah, he looks good. I mean, we talked on some of the preseason shows about the contrast between him and Antonio Gibson when they were at Memphis. We know there's an apples to oranges thing there. We know Gibson is good at the NFL level. And that gives us a little bit of encouragement here. He catches the six of eight passes for 58 yards. That eight target game moves him into the number nine position at the uh, at running back on the season in targets, which we know. I mean, that's that's what we're hoping for. He's also being trusted. I mean, some of the stuff is late and you can say some of it looks a little garbagey, but it's also, uh, you know, when you're like desperately trying to come back and, and win a game, if that's the guy that you want, then I think you've got to be excited about that. He finished off one of their key scoring drives at the end with a nine yard catch. And then as opposed to putting Miles Sanders back in for the running play, they hand it off to him. He sprints seven yards for the touchdown. I love to see that kind of back-to-back play. We saw some of that with DeAndre Swift and some of his big performances. And then obviously Swift did not look good in week four. But Gainwell doing some of those things right now. Sanders has the 37-19 opportunity advantage on the season, but Gainwell edged him in week four, 11-10. There are reports that this could be a pure timeshare unless Sanders flashes and Ben, you mentioned the number of, of carries these guys are getting. One of the things that we do know is that it does help you flash. And, and even just think about like Derrick Henry, like how bad he is in the first half, how amazing he is in the second half. And Miles Sanders is sitting over there like, you know, I'm getting like four or five touches. I mean, how am I going to, you know, it's like a lot of pressure to break off a 70-yard run in one of the first couple of times you touch the ball. If Gainwell is the guy who fits the offense better, and he is, then that's very promising in terms of what the Eagles are going to need to do, what their strengths are, and, and just, again, where the high-value touches are in this offense and who better fits you know, them trying to win games. And so, yeah, I think that there are going to be some weeks like we have seen in between week one and week four, both of those weeks pretty promising, in between not as much, where like if you start either guy, you're sitting there at the end, and you're like, you know, didn't I have some deep backup who would have been a better option than this? But, but there are going to be some very good weeks, too. Yeah, there'll, there'll definitely be some quiet weeks as well. Uh, some of my zero RB teams, though, I don't really have a better options. I've just been plugging them in there, and it's been nice to get some running back ceiling. I mean, that's one of the things that can happen with zero RB is even if you don't hit on the running backs, you basically play your best options, and you get guys like this in your lineups, and you're like, okay, well, you know, we were just talking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, on, the, on the last show, I think, but basically Edward, the reason I – think he's more of a sell right now is look he's had 200 yard rushing games first of all barely gone over 100 in both but that big round three digit number sticks out to people 
The routes haven't really been there. He's had receiving touchdowns in both games. I don't think that continues. One was an inside shovel pass design play. They do that to Travis Kelsey more frequently than they do it to, to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. The, the actual rushes at the goal line were Daryl Williams. But the point I'm trying to make here is Edwards-Alaire's ceiling is not that much different than, than Kenneth Gainwell. So when you get into these backs that are high high picks that aren't actually doing, you know, having these legendary running back seasons, they don't have monster ceilings on a weekly basis. What you're kind of paying for is just the fact that even when they have down games, maybe they'll get you eight to 10 points and gain well when he has down games, maybe it gets you two, but those are not going to, that's not going to decide a lot of weeks. I know it feels like it is, but that's not going to decide a lot of weeks, especially if you've done a good job of targeting upside across your roster. It's the 30 point games that decide weeks. It's not the the difference in floor between two points or four points, you know, eight or 10. And if they have the same ceiling, I mean, I'm basically by starting Kenneth Gainwell every, every week right now, I'm not doing that much worse than, than Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, managers are. And Edwards-Alaire has been good. He's been actually hitting. That's part of the reason he's a sell is like he's been hitting on what his profile is. Now, look, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a guy that we thought had the potential to have a really big role. And we're saying he's worth drafting in some spots. My, my, my point in using him is what his role actually is and how he's actually being used in season. And there are running backs that wind up looking like that in a lot of different spots. Um, I think in some ways you could bring Ezekiel Elliott into this conversation who looked fantastic in week four. We saw a, you know, a really nice ceiling from him in week four, but a lot of times you're just paying for the floor games that aren't even that high a floor. And yeah, anyway, when you go zero running back, you wind up with a game well like this, you take your lumps. He's going to have some big games too. And he's going to have some more that are decent games that are, you know, five catch games where he didn't really run a lot, but he caught five passes, and so he got you eight or ten points. His profile, he's not going to score as many points as Clyde Rosalera, Ezekiel, get full season. And when people look back at the full season numbers next year in the offseason, they'll emphasize full season and this and that. But when we talk about zero running back, we emphasize what are you getting at the running back spots on your team. And right now, what I'm getting at the running back spot on my team with Kenneth Gainwell, the way he's being used right now in this part of the season, and maybe he won't be my starter for 16 weeks, but right now it's it's working just fine. And you mentioned those ceilings. Uh, that is an interesting point overall. We had a team last week where we started CeeDee Lamb and Will Fuller and Juju. And I'm going in, I'm thinking, I mean, this could be a real disaster. I know when I look at the live scoring, it's going to have like two points for those guys. And Juju, somebody, we were disappointed. Roethlisberger missed him on a couple of, I don't know if they would have been touchdowns, but I mean, they would have been big plays, right? So that's a frustration. But then, you know, we scored 166 because we also have multiple massive performances on that roster. And again, it's something where, yeah, I mean, it would have been great if our other guys hadn't busted, but you are going to win from the guys who give you this huge upside. Someone who we liked and has performed well, but hasn't given that upside. And I think people might be a little bit frustrated, might be looking to move off of him right now, in part because... Aaron Jones has looked so good, but Ben, if you go through and look at the full numbers now for AJ Dillon, he's averaging four and a half yards per attempt. He's got the 17% evasion percentage. He had this game in week four where he and Jones split the attempts evenly and Dillon actually, and again, I, I kind of bring these splits up not because we expect the split itself to continue, 
but that it gives you a little bit of insight about what was happening in the game and maybe what the running back can do. It's kind of funny in this one to see Aaron Jones at 0.9 yards before contact, A.J. Dillon at 2.5, because you would expect that to be the other way, right? I mean, Jones is fantastic at getting to and through the line, making those big plays. Dillon's someone where, I mean, you're worried that someone with that size profile, even if they have the athleticism, that just that slow start is potentially going to cause a problem or the potential for the slow start where just as a bigger guy, right? But Dylan has been getting through some of these holes and he also has flashed in his very limited opportunities as a receiver. And so the points haven't actually been there, but from a reality perspective, I've been very encouraged by him. Now, we don't want Aaron Jones to get hurt. The best thing for us and certainly for the human beings who are real life people is just for Aaron Jones to make it all the way through, have a great season, really pay off for those who drafted him early. But in terms of, of trying to manage our rosters and figuring out who the potential for league winning seasons come from, when you have someone playing as well as A.J. Dillon in an offense that is this explosive and in a situation where we would expect the touches to be very concentrated to him in the case of an injury to sort of his committee back or you know the starter ahead of him uh, is dylan someone that we should be going out now and making the effort to even though we're kind of disappointed in his scoring so far he hasn't had quite the standalone value we were hoping I mean, it should be people trying to buy him in every single league they participated in this week every single league i'm all the way back in on Angel dylan there's a few elements that you know need to be addressed first of all they dominated this game, but part of the, the thesis of the play, if you will, that I talked about in the offseason was that A.J. Dillon was better suited for the salting away of the games. One thing I thought I saw in week one that didn't pan out in week two when Aaron Jones had a monster game was that they were sort of splitting series. Uh, in week two, it was just all Jones. In week three, they kind of got back to splitting series, but I talked about this in signals. Jones would stay in for his whole series. Dylan would start the next series and then Jones would come in <laughs> and finish that series as well. And so it's still it like it really didn't matter that Dylan was starting the series. He was the clear backup. At the same time, I was telling people to hold him. He still has massive contingency value. What we saw in this game was we started to see what I've been hoping for with AJ Dylan. Number one, he comes in the second series in the first quarter and he plays substantially for a lot of plays in, in this long series at the end of the first quarter, he gets three carries, he gets a reception. There's like maybe nine plays here. He had the first touch and the last touch. I, I don't recall if he ever left the field on the series. I don't assume that he did. Then there's a quarter break and Aaron Jones does come in when they, and they're in the red zone. And so that was a little bit, you know, tilting for me that, you know, Dylan is, is coming off the field in the red zone. We're seeing that more and more. I want to just get him a touchdown for the love of God. He's huge. Next series, Jones is in. Series after that, it was a very quick series, and Jones has barely played to this point. Series after that, Jones starts, but Dylan comes right back in in the second quarter and gets a carry early on that series in the second quarter, which was interesting. Jones came right back in after that. But now we're seeing a little bit more mixing. We're not seeing just the, the starter. Dylan only gets a couple other sporadic carries through the uh, remainder of the uh, third, but late in the third, he gets a 25-yard run down to the one-yard line, and he stays in at the one-yard line. They just ran a play action, and they threw a touchdown. But they didn't immediately take him off at the one-yard line. They left him in there, and they did a fake handoff to him. Okay, so there's another positive sign. And then you get into the fourth. And in the fourth, Dylan starts the first drive of the fourth. They're up 17 points. He has a negative one-yard run. Not great. Rodgers throws two passes. They punt. 
Next drive, Dylan starts it again. They're still up 27-10. He gets four straight carries, and he's actually gaining yardage this time, five, four, five, six yards, picking up 20 yards, basically, on four straight carries. Then on second and four, they decide to throw finally. They throw on third and four. They actually throw on fourth and four, and they turn over on downs. Next series, A.J. Dillon gets the carry on first and 10 again. So all three series when they were up 17 points, and actually this last one, they're only up 10 points at this point. A.J. Dillon started the series. Aaron Jones came in on that series, that final one in the fourth, but Dillon came back in and had two more carries. Now, in one regard, that means that A.J. Dillon had eight of his 15 carries in the fourth quarter of a blowout, and that is notable. In the other regard, that's part of what we were hoping to see from A.J. Dillon from, on a good team that is going to win some games that he'll actually be able to run up some, um, some touches late in games. Another point I want to make is he has a catch in every single game so far. He's been running routes. He doesn't have a ton of catches. I think three of the games he has one and one he has two. I think he has five overall, but he's caught a pass in every single game. And that, I think, is a positive sign for if Jones were to miss time for Dylan's receiving role. They are having him run routes. They are still kind of treating him like Jamal Williams. They don't see him as this big back that's incapable of catching passes. And so there's a lot of different little elements throughout this game that, to me, was like, this is what I wanted to see from Dylan. I wanted to see him mixing in more with Jones in, in neutral scripts. I wanted to see him be the lead in plus scripts. Now, one point about that, Aaron Jones did lose a fumble in this game in the third quarter. And so that may have influenced why they were like, okay, we're just going to give the ball to A.J. Dillon late because Jones, you didn't hold on to the football. But also, I don't think, you know, Jones is the type that would ever get benched. I, I think this is more just a pro Dillon thing. And like you said, he has looked good in the limited work he's been getting. I talked back in week two and still in signals a little that it really felt like they just wanted to feature Jones after a really bad week one. They've done that in the past. If you go back and look historically after they've had some bad losses they've gone to Aaron Jones as sort of the especially when the passing game doesn't work and teams are, are showing coverages that are in, influencing Rodgers they go okay we want to remind you that we have Aaron Jones and how that's going to set up the way that you game plan going forward that's what week two felt like and Aaron Jones was absolutely massive none of this is meant to be a negative on Aaron Jones it's a question of whether AJ Dillon can coexist with Aaron Jones what we saw in week four honestly said yeah like he can be a, a zero RB starter I think uh, especially in games where the, the Packers are favored, they're playing weak opponents, and you think that there's this opportunity for late game, uh, you know, extra rushing yards, just to get him to six or eight points. He winds up in this game with 10 points, I think. It wasn't an amazing game. He was efficient as a runner. He had a 25-yard run. But those things are positive, too. Those are going to help him get more carries, right? So there's a lot of, you know, little little things, right? But little things that I thought were very encouraging for him to build out some standalone value. And then also, I think everything so far has been encouraging for his contingency value if Jones missed time, like you said. And we see the, the good carry numbers in this one. You mentioned, you explained how that would happen, why we think it could continue to happen with the Packers. You look at him putting up some good yardage numbers, a very different situation with Trey Sermon, but he put up some good yardage numbers. Ezekiel Elliott has a good game, scores. Alvin Kamara has a game that, a fantastic rushing game, but doesn't score. Kind of your perception of how these good carry good you know strong efficiency all four backs looked very good but your perception of it depends on who scored the touchdown now we know with patrick kareen coming on the show giving us his legendary uh rb info I mean, we know that the stars are going to get more of those goal line touches you have more total touches that's going to help you you if you're the goal line back it's going to help you and so it's not like we're saying, oh, Ezekiel Elliott doesn't deserve credit for the touchdown or it's not a big deal. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is at the same level with these other guys. It's not that we're saying that. But some of these guys are, are maybe closer to where he is. And again, you look at what the big price gap was for the players. 
And in terms of week four and how that's perceived, the fact that Elliott gets in kind of covers up some of the red flags that emerged in that game. And just the problem that C still has with Tony Pollard siphoning carries from him. We saw in this game why, even though we think Aaron Jones is going to have a good season, it is a problem that he has not just a starting caliber back behind him, but you know, not like a low-end starter either. I mean, A.J. Dillon is good. The fact that the Packers picked him in the second round didn't really make sense. But as far as that goes, they can at least say, well, we picked a guy who's good in the second round. That's not nothing. And so very, very encouraged there. And I think there are some other guys who had some good weeks as runners where if they score or if you catch a pass and, and break a little bit of a play, then it changes the perception a lot when really the overall outlook would be pretty similar there. So excited about some of these guys that we have had on our watch lists, have had stashed on our teams and especially as we get a little bit closer to the buys the potential for some of them to go off in a game even if you know that the most likely outcome is a six to nine point week the potential for that 15 point week or a 20 point week if something falls right the potential you know to have james connor do what he's done the last couple of weeks and these guys are more talented than james connor and so you know you could see even some bigger performances so very encouraged about these running backs it was a, a great week for really players just all across the nfl i keep talking about how week four was one of my favorites in a long time but there was so much interesting to go over and cool to see some of our guys emerge all, all right. the teams except for those uh except for the running back heavy team all, all the other all the good teams won yeah so you know when you when you spend all day at the computer writing about football it is something that is nice to i mean that's a good reason to have a good strategy right because and if you go into the season with a bad structure, you're going to have to spend all day, every day, writing about how your teams aren't winning. So, yeah, you know, just kind of. <laughs> it's a lot more depressing to write after a tough week. I, I completely uh, double stamp that that point. Well, Ben, it's been an absolute blast talking with you. As always, we'll be back on Sunday night for a show that we'll release Monday morning, going over Week Five. Hopefully, in Week Five, every single player in the NFL stays healthy. And teams who have the uh, stealing banana structure, again, are successful. We know every week won't be like this, but it's been fun as it lasts. So I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretchen. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. I know when you listen to Ben talk about high-value touches, routes, the way these guys are playing, and what that means as you try and manage your roster going forward. You'll be very excited to get into his newsletter and get even more deep into the weeds. That is where a lot of the fun stuff happens in fantasy football. We also have a ton of great articles coming out every day on Rotoviz. A lot of our new writers, Michael, Connor, Corbin, Bjorn, doing great stuff with the Advanced Stat Explorer, with all of these great advanced stats that we're getting from Sports Info Solutions. Dave Cabin, Blair Andrews, Curtis Patrick, all the gang doing some great stuff. They've got some really cool things. I, I like to mention Dave Cabin's wide receiver cornerback article. It's one of the best things out there. He'll help you figure out how you need to play your wide receivers. If you want to get a 10% discount to all that fantastic content, make sure you use the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. If you can, leave us a rating and review. Uh, we always really appreciate that. Subscribe to the Stealing Bananas feed. You'll get some of these shows a little bit earlier. And... Good luck this Sunday. We're rooting for you.